militarily useful effect of killing the enemy, that tends to dissipate. And so <clears throat> I don't know whether they've used those or they haven't used those. Um, but what I'd imagine is that the response would be somewhat like it was when they uh, did what they've already done, which is that um, hopefully there won't be um, a tremendous amount of lives lost because these tend to be ineffective weapons. And at the same time, I think the world will tend to shrug if, if that's the case, because that's what the world has done. Now, if there are very um, visible attacks using like VX gas on civilian centers, um, then hopefully the world will do better than it did when it happened with Syria. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that's my two cents in response to your question. Awesome. Okay, let's go. I'm sorry, who is next? Is it Carl? We're going with Carl from accounting. Go ahead, Carl. Hey, so uh, just to go back to that earlier guy, and not to get into it um, to too much, you know, who was kind of just alluding to either <laughs> Ukraine being partially responsible or countries like the US supporting it. You know, when I talk to people, about this, I try to use an analogy which they really can't argue with. And, you know, no no analogy is perfect. Um, but I kind of just say, so you talk about like a crazy ex um, who's really controlling. And, you know, you know maybe the, the, the woman is, was even a child bride who got away from him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in 2014, it's like Russia coming in and um, they, you know, raping her and then still keeping her apartment and some of her stuff. And she's you know, wanting to get away uh, for, from him, and she's considering dating others. Um, but um, he's like, you know, if uh, I can't have you, no one can have you. And you know, when you when you look, you know, that's definitely an oversimplification. Uh, um, and you know, Ukraine's actually been around longer than Russia. Blah 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 blah. But still, like from a morally ethical point of view, it's it's a kind of a clarity of, you know, there really is only one bad guy in this picture uh, at the macro level. Um, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks for that. Okay, let's go over to uh, Toshi and then Ifa speak. Yes, I'd like to the point out to the, the effect of the after using the uh, chemical weapon and uh, nuclear weapon in the uh, Ukraine. So, Already to everybody know in the Syria, uh, it, it seems to the chemical weapon was used for the people of the Syria, but uh, not using for atomic bomb or nuclear weapon on Syria. And, and <clears throat> I'd like to point out, uh, after the using chemical weapons to detect the tolerance of the used in uh, uh, chemical weapon, uh, maybe it is difficult. Uh, but uh, nuclear weapon is uh, easy to detect. Oh, you use in uh, uh, nuclear weapon, even in the very low, uh, low power chemical weapon by the detector. Uh, uh, low low effect of the chemical uh, no no sorry uh, low power nuclear weapon if use it uh, the radiation detector was easy to identify it so uh, 
I'd like to point out Vladimir Putin is uh, he's wandering to the uh, used to the the chemical weapon and uh, uh, or nuclear weapon. It is a very um, big problem in the future of mm-hmm. his own history. Hundred percent. Thanks. We'll take that as a comment. Toshi, nuclear weapons are bad, and we don't think they're going to be used. That's personal, in my opinion. <coughs> if I speak, and Hickman, go ahead. Hey, uh, thanks, Chair Wooder. Thanks for holding the fort. Uh, just uh, maybe question or comment, if anyone want to chime in. You know, I know there's been a lot of talk about May 9th, if Putin is going to declare war or declare victory. You know, I, I feel like we really shouldn't give a shit, really, to be honest. Uh, I think the best thing we could do, especially uh, our European friends, is, uh, you know, declare Ukraine a member of the European Union. All right. Well, what do they have to lose, right? Oh, I mean, nothing. Declare Ukraine a member of the European Union and say, hey, uh, whenever the Euro- Ukrainian uh, government is is ready to start turning their gravening to Euro, we're, we're ready. Just declare it. I think Putin is going to start shooting his pants. Thank you. I agree. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Hickman. And just a reminder to the people on the panel, Kingfish, and uh, uh, there's someone else here. Uh, if you have a question, just uh, raise your hand. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Hi, Yehuda. Still here, still listening since this whole thing started. Uh, I just want to make a point about... Uh, these people that come here and uh, try to blame the United States, or I don't, uh, I don't call them trolls because uh, uh, I was uh, like born and raised in the Middle East. I'm in the United States right now, but so uh, I called the, I call my friends sometimes there, and uh, I called the uh, one friend that I know really very much and. He was buying all this uh, Russian propaganda and the same story, just like this guy that was here. And then uh, just later after that, I called his brother and he was just like one of us, like just just like here in the West. And I just want to say that they're not trolling. They're ignorant and uh, lazy. They Like they don't want to make their research. So I just want to say that being born in a, place like that is not a free ticket to being ignorant and you got to do your homework and uh, know the right thing from the bad thing and that's all for now thank you thanks so much Hickman. i appreciate it um thanks for sharing and opening up to us um we are going to get into a rundown soon uh, with all source with uh, what's what going on um if you are here in the speaker's channel there we got uh i instigate reparations uh if you'd like to speak please put your hand up if not we're going to put some other people up so uh, here's your chance um okay go ahead i instigate happiness you're on yeah hi guys uh, uh thanks uh very much for a chance 
I've been listening, but uh, my intent it was just to, I mean, to absorb the information as much as I could. But uh, you know what? It somewhere somehow it uh, it triggered something in the back of my 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 my, my mind. I'm basically based in Africa. You know, uh, when you talk about uh, NATO, to say the countries that are joining NATO, they're joining NATO for the benefit of uh, protection or safety from any uh, invasion possibilities from uh, maybe other country. If I may maybe try to be specific to the powerful country than that particular country. Like I've got a basic question. Probable, I think uh, the majority of individuals here that are well versed with the history. So, as I've said, I'm in Africa. If, like, one question, the first question is Does the African country need the projection? If the answer is going to be yes, of which I assume it's a yes, which side that could have the best interest of uh, giving the African countries the projection? The last uh, question, which is three of them, who could be the threat to the African country and maybe why? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not part of the space here. What threats to Africa there are. I'm sure there's another space you can talk about that. But I mean, I think if you want to address the first question, I think think I'm going to make up a question for you instead of uh, bouncing this around. Uh, Are African countries invited to join NATO? And I guess the answer there is, Yes, they are invited to join NATO if they feel they want to. Um, <clears throat> why would they join NATO? I don't know. I'm not an African country. Uh, but uh, NATO membership, uh, you can apply for NATO membership if you are a country. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in NATO or the North Atlantic. Um, but yes, uh, NATO is an organization where people, especially under threat from Russia, tend to want to join and that's been true for many, many years since it was founded, and it's true today. And if you ever needed an excuse or a question, if you had, why, why is your NATO? Well, look what Russia just did. Um, and Russia's been saying they're going to attack Ukraine for a long time. I guess it's kind of hard for us because we assume people know the history of the region. Uh, Russia has been claiming Ukraine for quite a long time. They've invaded Ukraine in the past and controlled it for almost 100 years. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Um, Ukraine just didn't recently become independent. Um, so I think a lot of people come here with misinformation and basically a general disdain for the West and America. So they assume that all the problems have just started because of the U.S. five days ago. So I hope that answers your question. And uh, we're going to go to Kingfish and then Morgan. Yeah, I just want to uh, piggyback on on that. Uh, the uh, you. you this just my opinion ukrainian uh, the ukrainians broke free of the soviet union in the 1990s and so it, just my opinion uh, there's 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 tons of opinions about why this this uh conflict uh ultimately was launched in 2014 um, and then, and then continues. Um, and I'm, and I'm not getting into NATO or, you know, joining NATO. It's not Ukraine's fault at all. I think, I think it's just purely, uh, well, I'm a Texan and we have a saying, sometimes people get red assed. And what that means is they're jealous and they're petty. And I think they, 
Putin saw Ukraine and their people flourishing and, um, in a, in a rough and democracy is not a perfect thing. And, but they were flourishing nonetheless. And, um, I cannot understand why he thought that he was going to roll over there in three days and everybody was going to cheer them on as they came in. They just, uh, but I, you know, I, I guess it's because they haven't lived in a in a in in a rough and tumble democracy. And some of the people that we're talking to on this space, they haven't existed in in a uh, rough and tumble doc- democracy. And I say rough and tumble because because a lot of times, uh, you know, as an American, it can be very frustrating and. Um, it's still frustrating and it's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way. But the Ukrainians and, you know, I had a question, but I forgot it already. But all I'm going to say is this is, is that the Ukrainians voted with their feet. They stood up to the aggressor and they pushed them out and they're continuing to push them out. And there's nothing else to be said about it. And I'm committed to, you know, contributing what little I have to making sure I make those phone calls to my representatives in DC and they know how I feel about it and what, and, and so far those, those, those things have been very uh, positive and I'm going to continue to do that. Um, and I think if you're an American or if you're a Canadian or you need to call your PMs, I think once again, we need to double down and make sure that uh, our commitment to these people, whether they're in our alliance right now or not, doesn't matter. We we can, I mean, it does matter, but we can still, you know, commit to to giving these people the things that they need so that they one day can join our alliance and 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 be vital members. Um, thanks again, everybody. I, I really enjoy the space. No, thank you. That's uh, beautiful comments. You know. Uh, it's nice. Uh, listen, every red-blooded American Canadian, uh, I say this not jokingly, should um, should be behind this. I mean, this is this is the freedom that our parents and our grandparents fought and died for. Uh, and frankly, you know, we'd hope to not have to go back again. Uh, and Ukrainians are saying, "Hey, we don't we don't want you to come back. We'll do it ourselves. Just give us the things. We'll pay you back later." And that's beautiful. Uh, we're gonna go to Morgan. Go ahead. Uh, it's first time talking. Thanks for you guys doing this. I've been listening since the start. It's really interesting. Um, I just had a question. I saw uh, a tweet a little bit earlier from from uh, Reuters, and uh, the title of the tweet was "U.S. Intelligence Helping Ukraine Kill Russian Generals." Do you think that this is um, great coordinated with the U.S. or do you think this is a po- net positive or a net negative? And like, do you think? that we have some sort of say in how these things get out and why, why, or why would we not want them to? And I'll not set want, them not, sorry, wait, don't go yet. Not want them to not them. Sorry. As why in, we, as in rooters, like why, why would we want to talk about the things that we're doing like that? And is that like on purpose? And is that like yes. a net positive or a net negative? Yes. There's one thing you might not like, <clears throat> you know, there are people, one, one thing that you got to love America about is you can have just as many people come on and say they love the CIA or the alphabet companies, and you can have the same amount of people saying I hate them. <clears throat> the plurality of 
opinion is actually a sign of strength of American, of American democracy. So, but I will say this, they're very, very good. Um, they've had failures before, but on balance, they're very good. Um, nothing is done by accident in that regard. No one calls up Reuters to tell them that, oh, oh gosh, did I just call Reuters and tell them that we're targeting No, they did it on purpose. This is, <clears throat> this is the Americans making it very clear to the Russians that Ukraine does not stand alone. You understand what I'm saying? This yeah, is, no, definitely. I, I mean, <clears throat> that's what I figured, but I just wasn't sure, like, if that was something that we'd want to do. I mean, I figure. I mean, uh, obviously that's the job with the press, but... I would, I would, I would agree with you. It's probably like a more of a more of a political statement. Yeah, no, it's definitely a. It's definitely, it's you know, and it's not just the Americans. The Israelis are helping target them. A lot of countries. I mean, they have signal intelligence. They know where these guys are going. Um, they know they're committing genocide, especially when. I mean, a lot of people, you know, shame on these people who come in here and babble about. I'm just asking questions. Why is there a war? Why didn't Ukraine just give up? Ha ha! They're murdering children. They're raping little girls. Um, the world sees it. The Americans saw it. Um, some people in this room with access to intelligence called it three weeks in, and then, sure enough, two weeks later, Bucha, Irpin, um, the Russians are are like being brutal monsters, just on the same level as the Nazis. Just very, very sick, sick, sick behavior. And the Americans don't want to tolerate it, nor should they. I think I think now more than ever, if anything, governments, intelligence agencies are like, hey, you know what? We, in the world of the Internet, we can't live this down. They're going to find out. The American public will find out that we, the CIA, knew about this in the first month. And the fact that we're not supporting our government and doing something big is, is bad, right? It's bad. The world has changed. Um, America is not more racist today than it was 100 years ago or 50 years or even 20 years ago. The world's watching. We have a lot of ability to affect change from offices in New York and Washington, D.C. Um, Ukrainians are literally saying, hey, we don't want your we don't want your troops. Keep them. Just sell us your stuff. And and, and you know, you, you want to help with targeting. OK, let's do it. This is Putin's war. The one thing the media, the talking heads on the media in the States have right every day is that this is a war of Putin's choosing. He chose this war. He bought it on himself. And you know what? He deserves anything that happens as a result. Um, let's get a follow-up from you, Morgan. Yeah, I just wanted to mention at the start, it kind of seemed like it was a little bit just like in the shadows. And I feel like now, like with, with how Ukraine has really stepped up, it's really allowed everyone to kind of see through like how weak and unorganized this whole thing really was and hopefully that'll kind of we'll keep stepping up that rhetoric and thanks for you guys doing this and i'll step down thanks thanks morgan appreciate it yeah i know for sure um a lot of countries are weren't going to say they were doing stuff because it's just like an insult you know it's a slap in the face it's not necessary but the russians are just doubling down on stupid every day you know with israel oh nazis you're like oh yeah and then the israelis get mad at them and they double down on it again i mean they just they're they're on the wrong side of history they didn't get the memo they didn't, you know, they forgot the Soviet Union lost the Cold War. The Americans could have gloated a lot more. They didn't. They were pretty magnanimous in that victory. But instead of taking the opportunity and climbing down that branch, they just said, you know what, we'll, just, we'll be just as bad, but we'll just not be communist. Gotta love it. If I speak, go ahead. Say again? But I said, gotta love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. Go ahead, if it speaks. 
Yeah, uh, thank you for the opportunity one more time. I was just going to say, uh, you know, releasing the uh, information about the U.S. helping Ukrainians to target Russian generals, uh, making that info public. Uh, I mean, I think you're right, you it was intentional. And uh, imagine, if I'm a Russian general, I'll be shitting my pants if I was told to go, go to Ukraine. Now I know I'm going to be a, a prime target. All right, so that's uh, you know, so, so that's a good thing. We're, we're letting everybody know we're, we're, we're behind, uh, you know, uh, the Ukrainians. Uh, the, the other thing that I read, uh, you know, that followed up on uh, earlier, uh, it has to do with okay. So now what? Uh, what about all these other countries that are not supporting Ukraine now? Uh, some analysts were saying, oh, Russia, at the end of the day, China is going to be the big winner in all of this. Well, it may seem like it temporarily. They may be buying cheap oil from uh, Russia. Uh, or they may, you know, look like they're, they're strong. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine's victory means a victory to the West, means a victory to the United States, and uh, it, it, it's, it means more, more clout. And uh, so if you want to be on the right side of history, and you, if you want to be part of the, the uh, a world uh, with free trade and, and, and freedom and fledging uh, democracies, you need to support Ukraine. Uh, because we will remember, everybody is going to be accounted for or accountable, held accountable when this uh, war is over. That's all. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean it's pretty obvious. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. Um, and and it's funny. The more I think, a lot of people thought, "Oh, no one's going to fall for this misinformation." But slowly but surely, it's creeping in. Well, why is this war going on? I mean, do you not have eyeballs? Do, we, do you have a television? Do you have an internet connection? Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> they literally, their president wrote a paper last year where he wrote it all out in writing for people to read where it said, Ukraine is not a real country. It belongs to us. All right. It was a very silly op-ed. But for anyone to go, geez, we just don't know what, what was the motive. We have no idea. <laughs> and then he said, first, don't join NATO. So they weren't joining NATO. NATO wasn't letting them in. But then they said, they invaded and said, we actually want to, we, magically, we want to get rid of Nazis. That's what we were saying the whole time. We just never told you because that's how important it was to us. I want to get rid of Nazis and we're going to demilitarize the country. We don't want Ukraine to have a country. Does, does India tell Pakistan? We don't want you to have a military. And if you, don't, if you don't do what we say, we're going to invade you. People don't act like that. That's not normal. It's ridiculous. And the African guy, what did he say? Why should we? you want us to join NATO? No one's asking you to join NATO. You can ask to join NATO. He, he said, you know, African countries obviously would, you know, something about being join, joining NATO and the, it's the right thing to do. No one said that. That's a false premise. And what, what, who would be our enemy? No one's saying anyone's your enemy. There are people now that are internalizing this. People as far away as Zimbabwe saying th they think that NATO wants to force them to join NATO. Um, no one said that. The only countries that want to join NATO are the ones that are afraid of Russia. It's not rocket science. Look at a map. There's a reason why there are Euro European countries that want to be in NATO. Go ahead, Jacob. Regarding the question of, you know, do we want to be, you know, Reuters to be publishing 
the knowledge that uh, the announcements that the U.S. is helping kill um, Russian generals in Ukraine. We absolutely do. Like, absolutely. And the reason why is, like, they're clear. Like, we want them to understand that if they go into the field to attempt to win this war, then they will die. And this should be very clear to every Russian general that is currently working, <laughs> any Russian officer, any Russian, but any Russian officer, you know, who's going to have Ukraine's attention because they play a role in advancing the war effort. <clears throat> we want them to understand, like, you are not safe. And we want them to understand that for a lot of reasons, right? One, because it's going to help Ukraine be more effective in ending the war sooner, but also because... Vladimir Putin is making all of these mean, nasty threats to the world. And we want these Russian generals to realize that the United States is the most powerful country on the planet. This is not a boast. It is the simple fact. It's being demonstrated now because we are marshalling the rest of the world to just give our leftover weapons to Ukraine and to just fly a few planes around and talk to them on the, on the telly and that is completely destroying their ability to accomplish their vile aims. And we want them to be asking themselves, well, what's going to happen if we make ourselves the United, ourselves the United States target? What is going to happen if the entire world, instead of just giving our one adversary weapons to defend themselves inside their own country and along the border where, you know, where they're, uh, really limiting themselves to attacking our, our supply and command. Like, we want these Russian generals to realize that if they get this stupid order to, you know, light the world on fire, like, they're just going to die. That's it. Yep. They're just going to die. 100%. All right, Kingfish, Ryan, and Found, go ahead. Okay, so publishing those those names, uh, and I believe they also published the names of all of the officers killed on the Moskva. Um, and they've been doing it throughout. Uh, and I can remember having discussions, uh, with other Americans that were, uh, not really sure about how, you know, they, they wanted to, uh, (laughs) if they even wanted to get behind it, um, I hate to say it, but some people had a differing opinion after those successes were published. And it became apparent that Ukraine was not only going to survive, but was going to be able to uh, be extremely successful in combat. Well, this, this generates political will within democracies to support another one. I know it sounds kind of strange, but it, it, it works that way. Um, and not, not entirely, but so continuing to show success throughout the conflict, uh, without giving away tactical knowledge and, and, you know, uh, getting into the details of where they were and who, who did what and all of that. Um, it also sends a message to the to the uh, all of the allies that uh, of Ukraine or uh, that are helping that you know we need to keep on on doing this. Thanks. Hundred percent. Go ahead, Ryan. 
I, I don't think anybody's brought this up yet, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, there were some hotly debated reports that the Russian GRU unit that's tasked with foreign assassinations was paying bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan towards the end of the uh, Afghan war. Uh, that's been contested back and forth between the NSA and the CIA and uh, a couple of other alphabet agencies. But uh, in the end, uh, here recently, Biden asked them to reassess that information. They gave it low to moderate confidence. So I kind of feel as an American like it's tit for tat. 100%. Yeah. Found, go ahead. And uh, our new guest, Fight Public, please, um, please put your hand up if you have a question. Go Found. Found, go ahead. Oh, hey, um, sorry, so sorry. I, I, I didn't know you would, I didn't know you had given me the opportunity to, to speak. Um, you had your hand up, so go ahead. Yeah, so, um, I'm also from, from Africa, and I've actually been um, on this channel, on this space since day one, since the very first day um, that, that, the, that the Russian invasion started. And uh, I, I mean, I've not been here for like about two or three days, and it's so it's so good to see to see every, uh, uh, to see the way the space is calm and and we we have been barely talking about. Your mic's very distorted, foundational. Activities on the ground, much like um, like on that force of innovation. What what I just want to speak to. Um, for me, uh, I not much about nation, but more about the the world order. And um, so, I, I I live in a country, Nigeria, where we have basically a pseudo pseudo autocracy. And um, I aspire every day for the kind of freedom that um, that you have in Western countries. United States, um, European countries. And um, so you can imagine my... And the, the, way, the way I say it is that as long as the world that remains the way it is, as long as um, a country like the United States that um, is an embodiment of freedom, uh, of democracy, um, of the will of the people, um, as long as the United States remains strong, then it will be easier for my country to want to get there. But um, for the past, um, um, say, four years, especially during the Donald Trump era, it's left me very scared some of the things I've seen. I feel like um, these days, um, in especially in the United States, um a certain or some people with, this, with certain ideologies um, care more about those ideologies than the very concept of democracy. I feel like there's probably a substantial part of, of Americans today that would not mind having a president like Putin. Um, if he's going to Foundational. I don't mean to interrupt you, but can you circle back to a question or a comment? I'm I'm losing you here. I'm not um, sure where you're going. It's not, it's not. Um, is I don't have a question. 
per se because I, I think I'm I'm well informed on the on the Ukrainian invasion. I sort of have more like an appeal um to to everyone here um to to take um democracy watch hard to take it very seriously um because, yeah because i live in a country where freedom is not guaranteed where um Let freedom ring thank exactly you foundational. what is it thank you we're yeah no thank you so much we're going to go to the next question so why don't you form a question i, I appreciate that foundational sorry yeah. we the truth is your mic's pretty bad and there's a lot of wind so i can't really understand you um, why don't you go somewhere a little better and then, um, like, just so we can hear you better. But I, I just want to like say foundational saying, yeah, I come from a country that's an autocracy. You should be happy about your democracy. Um, we're not here to talk about American politics though, foundational. So whether or not your, your comment about America wanting a president like Putin, I don't think that's really important right now. We're talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So appreciate your comments. Thank you so much. And, uh, stick around if you want to speak, you're a very polite and nice guy. Let's go to If It Speaks and then WTH. If It Speaks, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Foundation made, made a good point. Uh, yeah, uh, the problem with really has to do with uh, a lot of the uh, problem with disinformation. Uh, we see with the uh, uh, invasion of Ukraine, uh, a lot of the roots of where all of those dis- disinformation uh, uh, came from. Uh, we, we can all in here in the space agree that uh, it, it, there, there was a lot of it in in the Western countries. Uh, but for, fortunately, or I, I may say, let, let me just say, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, Ukrainians are uh, the ones paying the the the, the uh, high price for it. Like uh, I know uh, Kingfish here, uh, uh, Kingfish that was here earlier. He said he's from Texas. We, we have a saying here in Texas that when shit hits the fan, people gonna realize what is true and what is false. Unfortunately, mm. our Ukrainian uh, brothers and sisters are the ones bearing the, the, the cost of years of disinformation. Unfortunately, this disinformation is uh, happening in uh, a lot of the developing countries, including uh, Africa and Nigeria. Uh, it's happening in uh, Southern America. It's happening in uh, Asia in the form of populist, so-called populist uh, uh, mo- movements. Uh, so that is why I, I go back to my earlier comment about democracy wins when Ukraine wins in Ukraine. So Ukraine is the final point, you know, for, for us to to finally dismantle these uh, these propaganda. Russian war machine of untruth, <clears throat> of alternative, uh, you know, theory, saying your freedom is not really a freedom, or the truth is not really a truth. Uh, we got it, hundred percent. No, uh, definitely, don't mess around with Texas, right? Listen, uh, we've got a few of the people in the panel who've asked for uh, an update, and uh, all sources trusted friend of the show here, so he's going to give uh, maybe last twelve, current, and next twelve. Um, maybe if we can focus on Belarus, going from north to south, Belarus issue, uh, Izium access, uh, Mariupol, Black Sea stuff. All sources, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, of course. 
Um, so starting with Belarus, I know there's there's a lot of concern, let's say, and this is something so I'm kind of doing a lot of space hopping right now, helping a friend of mine with one of his. Um, th- th- literally, we just had this conversation. This is what it, this is what I want everybody to understand about Belarus. They're not going to go into Ukraine. And if they do, I mean, go for it. You're going to get slaughtered. I mean, the Belarusian military, the only opportunity they really had to get involved in the war of Ukraine is when Russia was prioritizing seizing Kiev. That was their chance. Now that they're now that the Russians pulled out, they got defeated in the north. Belarusians are not going to push into Western Ukraine, which for all intents and purposes is probably one of the most important aspects of Ukraine's uh, ability to generate combat power. Right. That's where all the weapon shipments are getting. Started. That's where probably they're doing a lot of the training for Ukrainian forces, generating combat power. There's a substantial amount of forces in Western Ukraine and the Ukrainians have demonstrated very well they're capable of defending their own country, right? The Belarusian military is very weak. And the amount of forces that they have available is not much. And when we're, when we're compared, especially to Russia, it's not a significant force. So I think this is just more sable rattling from the, from the Belarusians, just to say that we're relevant, we exist, you know, don't mess with us, you know, we matter. But all intents and purposes... Belarus is not going to be the, a combatant in this in this war in the sense of invading forces into uh, Ukraine. Obviously, they're belligerent because they allowed Russia to invade uh, Ukraine through their territory. So Ukraine has every right to target Belarus. But from the notion of Belarusian troops in Ukraine, it, it's very, 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 very low. And if they do, they're just going to get slaughtered. I, I, it's clear as day. Um, now, now, from there, right now, we, we'll transition east. The, uh, let's go with Mariupol. You know, the, the Russians are, are trying to seize the steel factory, obviously. Um, c- clearly, it, it looks like they 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 want to win. They, they they want the win. They want to completely seize Mariupol right now. This bastion of, of, of Avos just holding off is clearly um, terrible for Russian propaganda purposes because they, they can't seize it yet. And so... Um, I think that's kind of just the, they, they, they want this problem solved in, in, in Mariupol. They want to seize it. And so um, it would be interesting to see how long the Ukrainians are able to hold out. They're in a very difficult situation, no doubt. Uh, but we all know that they had a lot of time to really establish in just in that area, in that area, just very robust defensive positions. So the Russians are, are likely going to suffer a significant amount of casualties trying to seize that area. And there's no guarantee for success because a lot of the uh, Russian forces uh, from Western sources got uh, said that they pushed now to nor- the northern area uh, uh, to, to kind of assist in the southern front of the Donbass. Um, it would be interesting to see if maybe Mariupol is they want to seize it because of this May 9th to at least claim some victory that the Russians can claim. And they probably want to seize it before May 9th to at least say that they, they did something, that they achieved something. Um, from there, going a little bit further, I'm, I'm, you know, from the Donbass, I'm just going to take a holistic approach from the region, not necessarily going to, 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 to small little villages or areas, because generally, and I mentioned this before in the last update, what, what, what we're seeing in the Donbass, especially in Izum, right, is that it's, it's basically stalled. I think today we had U.S. officials in, in, in the Pentagon briefing the press. Basically, one of the officials said, you know, it looks like it's stalled because what we're seeing is very, very, very minimal territorial changes in that area. Right. From Izum, uh, Popansa, especially in the southern part of Don- in the Donbass near Donetsk, 
not that much territorial changes either between the Russians or the Ukrainians. So clearly the Russians are on the offensive. Ukraine is mostly on, you know, mostly on the defensive. And the Ukrainians are able to just, again, halt the Russians, make them suffer enormous amount of casualties. And again, you know, don't get me wrong, Ukraine is also clearly suffering casualties. Like there's, there's no denying it, right? But in the end of the day, the Russians need to seize territory. And, 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 and Russian casualties have a significant more impact specifically to the forces available to, the, to them in this offensive. They do not have the ideal, what we would consider in military term, a three to one ratio, right? Where you basically have three attackers per one defender. Because right now the Ukrainians and the Russians have very similar technical, tech, uh, uh, very similar weapon equipment. Obviously, the Ukrainians are getting more Western equipment. But for a lot of intents and purposes, and to simplify this, from a technological point of view, they're basically a one to one, right? If anything, the Ukrainians are probably at an advantage in that. So the Russians would have to compensate that with more additional manpower, and they just don't have it. So they're doing offensive operations without having that three to one ratio. And we're seeing the results of it. They're not seizing territory. And they're trying to attack the Donbass, which for the last eight years, since since Crimea and then when Russia originally invaded Ukraine in 2014, the first time they invaded them in 2014, the Ukrainians for eight years have been able to prioritize defensive positions in the Donbass. It is a fortress. And the terrain there is 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 very hard for attackers and people on the offense to seize terrain. And we're seeing it, right? So the Donbass, Izum, is, is fairly static. So where's probably where I'm looking at a lot is further up north of Donbass, which is called Kharkiv, right? The Kharkiv region, we've all heard about this before. You know, the city that is very close to the Russian border that has managed to held out, hold out over two months has not even been in danger of being really even encircled, let alone seized. What we've seen in the last... I would say 24 to 48 hours going a little bit further back is the Ukrainians have had a very successful counteroffensive to the point that they've seized per U S officials over 40 kilometers of territory. Seizing that much territory in a small period of time generally means that the Russians holding that area either pulled back or the forces there just collapsed. And it was a rout because the last time we saw something similar in this war in Ukraine was in Chernif back when, when Ukrainian forces in eastern part of Kyiv conducted an offensive northeast of Chernif, and we had the same reports, 40 kilometers. And that was kind of the first indicator we had is like, okay, maybe the northern front is going to collapse. This is not good for the Russians. And now we're seeing it again in Kharkiv. Specifically, there's a city next to the Donetsk River uh, called Moldova, not to be confused with the country, Moldova and Kharkiv Oblast that the Ukrainians seized yesterday, and they have a flag there. That's about 40 kilometers from Kharkiv. That is very good news for the Ukrainians, right? So what can they do with that? Uh, the, the problem with the Ukrainians is they have the Donetsk River there, so it's very hard for them to push east of the river. Rivers are great natural barriers, very hard to advance. You would have to do what we call in the military a wet gap crossing, basically crossing a bridge. Very difficult, very dangerous for the Ukrainians. They could emplace artillery, especially hopefully long-range artillery, to try to at least disrupt Russian resupplies, because if you look at the eastern part of the Donetsk River, from Izum north, there's a road that connects to Russia. That's where the Russians are prioritizing a lot of the resupply for the Izum front, which is the Russians' main effort. The Ukrainians can probably disrupt a lot of those off, a lot of those resupply missions. Um, it would be interesting to see how the Ukrainians then, after the, the, the Kharkiv front, looks like, again, it's favorable to Ukraine. It looks like they're going to have a lot more success in the short term. And then what do they do? They, they try to do a wet gap cross, cross the river and continue east. Do they now refocus south and try to hit Izum from like, you know, from if you look at Izum in the northwest, do they go from Kharkiv south 
and hit that area of Izum to try to cut off the Russians and envelop them. Because again, that river also prevents the Russians from retrograding that much. They, they don't have that much terrain where they can retrograde from Izum. So it really would enable the Ukrainians to cut them off. And so that's the thing that I'm looking for uh, to Yehuda's point in the future, because I suspect the, the Donbass is going to stay static. Mariupol, you know, see how long they can last. Very precarious situation. But really, Kharkiv, that's the key thing that I'm looking for, where I think the Ukrainians in the next week, really, where they can have a lot of success and dealt a very heavy blow against Russia if they're able to cut off that resupply from Izum. Thanks. Thanks for that, all source. Yeah, so um, Walter is going to grab that. And uh, any questions for all source, please raise your hand. I got a question I had to hand raise. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely agree with all sources uh, assessment of Belarus uh, being weak. And if they want to cross the border, yeah, fuck around and find out. Um, one thing to note on the on Donbass, though, is Ukraine holds the inner lines. That's huge. Uh, it's a, a big strategic win for them. So f- still, um, as far as Maria Pol goes, I've seen um, they've same just kind of echoing what uh, Alsor said was there they've moved a lot of troops out of there um to the northeast um it looks like w- what i'm seeing and i don't know if this is correct but they got about 2000 s- still there holding the lines i don't know if that's including on the attack on the azov uh steelworks um but one thing i was kind of curious about was the dnipro bridge attack that happened. Uh, I don't know if some of you saw that footage from earlier today. Um, and as far as what Jacob was saying earlier, general, uh, as far as us uh, reporting on uh, and reuters that were attacking the generals, um, yeah, I mean, come on, dude. Most of us are Cold War kids. Like, we're tired of Russia's crap. Um, we just want to send a, a message. Uh, you're not untouchable. Like most of us have built skills, like been fighting for this. That's over. I'm out. Thanks. Um, yeah. Regarding that article was quite, uh, quite odd. And, uh, that said, I believe we have doc and IFA. Um, I believe IFA was first and then doc. Hi, yeah, thanks, Walter. I was just going to ask also, so who, who uh, controls Luhansk and, uh, and Donetsk uh, specifically uh, right now? Do you know? So yeah, you want to go ahead, Walter? Go ahead. No, go ahead, all source. Uh, I'll chime in afterwards. Are, are, you, if, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you asking like the entire oblast, like the Donetsk and Luhansk oblast? Uh, n- n- not necessarily the entire blast, but kind of the the, the, the cities. Uh, I've not really been getting a lot of information as to who really controls. In, in other words, who is defending it, or who is who, who, you know pretty much who, who is on the offense or defense? Oh, okay, okay. So, it's specifically like when I say the Damas, obviously the Donetsk and Luhansk blast. That specific area, right? For the most part, for the most part. You know, Russia's in the offense and Ukraine's in the defense. Ukraine has conducted localized counterattacks, which they've been very good at, to try to, you know, take target of opportunities and recapture uh, villages when they see that, right? 
And so, but if you're, if you're really analyzing it and you're kind of zooming out and just seeing the entire region, and that's why we say the, the Oblast, right? For the most part, like I said, Ukraine is mostly on the defensive, rightfully so, and they should prioritize the defense. And then the Russians are mostly on the offense. Uh, but they're, they're just not having success when, when you're looking at it. So a specific example, Pansan and Lusank Oblast, you know, still has not fallen, right? The Ukrainians in the, in the, in that town have held out violently. It has been very costly for the Russians to seize it to the point that large section, I believe we had a report of 80%, 75% of that city has just been completely destroyed because the Russians, all they have left now is just to bomb and utilize the artillery because their maneuver forces are just not able to hold and seize terrain. So, but to your question, yeah, Donetsk and Luhansk, for the most part, the Ukrainians are holding defensive positions and the Russians are trying to do offensive to try to seize the entire oblast, which is kind of, quote unquote, their intention of uh, their political agenda, from Putin's point of view, of liberating, quote unquote, the the, the Donbass region. All right. Thanks, also. I appreciate you. Uh, you uh, about two weeks before the experts started calling the culmination of the uh, Russian offensive in Kiev. I remember on this space, you, you, you were the one that came on and uh, started talking about, though, you think they've culminated. Now, I don't know where you get your stuffs from, but, man, it's it's dope. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, honestly, it's just it's, it's clear. I mean, it, I, it, it's, it's just when you're looking at a situation in a map and you're trying to see the forces when they're advancing, right, it's it's when you do military planning, you generally try to plan H hours and D days, right? How much territory you should you 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 assess that you're going to seize based on military operations, and so it's the same for the enemy, right? Okay, if they're on the offense, you you kind of analyze. Okay, based on what we're seeing, this is kind of a rough estimate where we're seeing at. When a front became, let's say, stable in the sense that you do not see that much territorial changes. And then and then and you're seeing that the Russians are throwing more bodies at the problem and it's not moving. And now you're seeing the Ukrainians actually conducting local counterattacks and reseizing territory. Then those are kind of the indicators of that, that, hey, you know what? These guys are these guys have stalled. And we're and really the the Donbass region, the front has not really significantly changed in a week. And so I'm just using the same standard that I did before. If they haven't seized territory in a week. I got it. They're probably prioritizing artillery fire. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, you still need to seize territory. You're not going to seize territory with artillery. You need, you know, your, your infantry and your armor to do that. And if they are not able to do that, then that is kind of an indicator that, you know what, these guys have culminated. Oh, and by the way, they're doing these offensive operations with units. A lot of those units come from Kiev that were slaughtered and suffered significant amount of casualties. And they did not do proper rest and refit. And then they were submitted. And, it, and again, it's not just me. There was a lot of the, you know, a lot of our military analysts we have, specifically uh, Patrick, others, Nuno. And this was a kind of just a lot of analysts who says, and we just saw it. We're not beholden, let's say, to to editorial prerogatives or, 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 or standards. We could just freely speak our minds. Uh, but there was a, a lot of me and I'm Mark Hurtling. He called it, too. I remember he said, it, like, these guys have culminated. Right. It's just those things that when you when you analyze this and you've seen this in the past, it becomes pretty clear once you see it from reporting. True, well said. Uh, and again, Russians plan to seize or capture the JFO area, the current area where they were continuous in the east in the first or second day of their invasion. That was their initial objective. And uh, we have to understand that even though right now we address the area as the 
the new Russian offensive or renewed offensive, the fighting never stopped in there since the 24th. When Russian invasion started, they continued to push, started to push from the 24th and failed to to advance there, failed to achieve any strategic objectives. So the only area where Russian actually succeeded was in the south of Ukraine, but it's a different story regarding capturing the, the shoreline of the Sea of Azov specifically. <clears throat> and uh, regarding who's in charge of Luhansk and Donetsk, the cities themselves, it's Russian occupational, occupation administration, essentially puppeteering as, uh, or pardon, masquerading as uh, these Russian concocted entities at DPR or LPR, People's Republic. And uh, they uh, put uh, one puppet in charge of the one fake republic, it's Denis Pushilin, and the other one is uh, Pasichnik in Luhansk, specifically. So that's the backstory. And the fighting still continues. It's, uh, again, it started on the 24th, and now they just moved more forces and tried to push more aggressively. But it never stopped since the 24th. So that said, um, we have Ryan, Doc, and Chris. Doc to you, and then Chris and Ryan. And Peace and blessings, everyone. Um, I had two questions. One, um, how do you, um, how would I phrase this? How do you combat the narrative that some figures, like from Noam Chomsky to recently the Pope, saying that, you know, this is all Ukraine's fault for barking at, you know, Russia. And um, <clears throat> it's, it seems kind of kind of ludicrous to say, given the facts of what we've seen the last couple of months from this war, and even prior to that, to the invasion of Crimea, and um, even prior to that from history, it just seems um, kind of, not, I don't want to say disheartening, but kind of bad faith where you're seeing these figures come out and saying that. So I'm not sure how do you uh, personally kind of talk about, you know, to counter that narrative. And then the next question is, um, I'm not sure if the, who was the reporter that reported it, but there's a coming out where U.S. intelligence is giving out the information of where the generals are in Ukraine to be targeted. So given that this information is coming out, and I'm sure the Russians are knowing um, that the U.S. is providing information on their generals' whereabouts, how would this further uh, escalate the war? Where would you see you know something that's a retaliatory attack on on uh, U.S. transport uh, airplanes or logistics? Well, I, I don't think it brings any or entails any escalation from the Russian side in terms of this specific piece of information or whatever that was. It doesn't or it will not kind of push Russians to escalate. Russians will escalate by themselves. It's uh, it's there basically the blueprint that they follow, and they either will or they will not. It doesn't really matter what really happens because they continue to escalate despite the effort to de-escalate from the Western allies. So yeah, they might cling to some kind of a piece of news or they can create a fake narrative as they always did and use it to escalate if they wanted to escalate to begin with. 
So I wouldn't kind of give too much uh, emphasis to that specific case of generals. <clears throat> and regarding Noam Chomsky and the, the rhetoric that is coming, well, it's a failure, first of all, to understand the background. It's a failure to understand what's going in Ukraine. And right, right now, also failure to, to basically understand the historic background of Ukraine. And right now, it's basically just turning a blind eye towards what's happening in Ukraine. And that's genocide of Ukrainian people. And to you, all source. Yeah, and, and, and Doc, to your point, I mean, if, if they're still arguing this after two months of war, then th there's just no point of arguing. But I would always counter this. Well, if Ukraine didn't want to join NATO, my counter to that, okay, well, Finland and Sweden more than likely looks like, or very high possibility, they are going to join NATO. So does that mean Russia gets to invade them? I mean, I, it, like, it's bullshit. It's 100% bullshit. It's just a bullshit argument that they just came up with because they understand people, especially left-leaning, the far left and tankies, just are, are susceptible to that because NATO is this imperialistic goal of world domination or whatever the hell. It's absolute bullshit. Like, and, and so what are they? So again, if Finland and Sweden join NATO, can Russia invade Finland and Sweden? That, that would be my counter argument. And just, it, it's a double standard to Ukraine. It's absolute horseshit. It's a talking point that they came up with just to get far, like left-winning folks to, you know, agree with them. But in the end of the day, like I said, it's just fucking horseshit. Sorry also, for cursing. All sorts, real quick, if I could interject, uh, I am aware of the remarks that Noam Chomsky made, and uh, he actually uh, gave some accolades to Donald Trump in respect to his approach on the uh, stuff with Ukraine and extending them aid during the Trump administration. So it's really puzzling what exactly Noam Chomsky was getting at. I think people need to keep in mind that he's a philosopher and not a foreign policy expert. Um, and he's made a career out of saying very controversial things that are counterculture to or heterodox to American foreign policy. 